doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. show i am your host eric salagi if you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com make sure to follow us on instagram and facebook both at the uncomfortable podcast 65 and please remember leave us a five-star rating and review where you can and share the show with others That is the best way you can get uncomfortable showing up in new listener recommended feeds and more people listening means more great people coming forward with their stories for you. Also in the show notes, you'll find the link to the uncomfortable discord server. We've started this uh, back at the beginning of January and I have to tell you, it's been an awful lot of fun, really not something that I was expecting. And uh, it's kind of starting to turn into a thing on Friday nights uh, it seems like I jump in there and we have a active voice channel and it goes on for hours at times. So if you're interested in that, that link is in the show notes as well. All right. Well, for tonight's show, I've got something a little bit different for you. My guests tonight are a mother and son team who host brutal, bizarre and boozy podcast. Mom Jane hails from Northern California and son Declan lives in Oregon. I've listened to several of their episodes and I've found they have a unique niche for that covering of the true crime aspect mixed with the weird. And it's a, it's a really neat show. They do a great job with it. Typically each one of them brings an unusual tale to the table. And tonight we will, I will be joining suit with that. I'll have a weird tale of my own. Another fun aspect of their show is they always seem to find an alcoholic mixed drink that somehow kind of ties into one of their stories, and we're going to do that as well. I'm pretty excited about this. I hope you enjoy it, and if you're ready, let's find out what they have in store for us. 
So if you would, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Jane and Declan, the hosts of Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Yes, definitely. I'm excited to have you guys on here uh, for a number of reasons. One, this is a little bit of a departure from typically what my show does. Um, I like true crime podcasts. My daughter is nuts about them. Um, but it, it's completely out of my, my niche, you know? So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a neat idea to have you guys come on, do your thing, but at the same time, try to try to get some stories that kind of fell into the, the genre of, of what we cover here. And, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think this is going to be a good time. Yeah. Tell me, uh, how did you guys? How did you guys get into doing this? I, lo- I love the fact that it's a mom and son team. I mean, I think that's great. I love seeing parents spend time with their kids, and you know, just go give us a little bit of background on how you guys started doing this. Go for it, mom. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks, Ben. Uh, we we've been talking about doing something together for about a year, and then. Um, we had joked about doing like a, a podcast YouTube style and doing it just, you know, cooking stuff. And then we started thinking about who wants to hear other people chew and nobody likes that. <laughs> and we both are big into true crime and weird stories. And when we get together, we're always talking about, Hey, have you heard this crazy thing? And did you hear about this weird thing? And so we um, just decided let's give it a shot and let's let's put it together and do a combination of weird and true crime and because he he tends to like he tends to bring more of the have you heard of this really weird thing this whatever and and i normally haven't heard of the weird thing and so he'll bring it to me and then i go oh my god did you hear about this crazy true crime stuff and uh, for, I think it was my birthday last year. You got me a mic and I was like, Oh, okay. We're doing it now. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Declan was the push to, to get the podcast yep. going basically. Yep. Good job, man. Good job. I, you know, I've listened to several of your episodes. The thing, I don't know if you guys, uh, experience this yet or not, but you know, I'm just into my second year of doing this. And as much as I love podcasts, I absolutely love podcasts, but there's times where I just got to back away and, and force myself to stop listening because it's just, it gets to be too much. You know, you're, you're listening to them all day at work and then you're coming home and you're working on yours and, you know, then you're trying to talk to other people and get them to come on. And then you got other people that are asking you to come on and it's like, Oh my word. At, at, at a point, it's just like, I can do it for a while, but then I have to just, I have to step away from it and I just focus on mine. You know, there's, there's times where I'm like, well, I don't want to sound like anybody else. I don't want to pick up habits of other shows and get compared to anybody, right. you know? So I, I try to stay away from that. And, uh, but when I found yours and I honestly, I don't remember how I came about it. Um, I was like, this is cool. <laughs> I like the I like the vibe between mom and son, and you know you guys got a nice little niche there in between the the true crime and the weirder stuff, and 
there's been some really good episodes. Oh, thank, you. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah. We're before we get into too much, uh, let everybody know where they can find you guys and uh, where your socials are and all that. So on Instagram, we are the um, brutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy podcast on there. I off the top of my head, think that's about it on Instagram. Uh, we have a fans page, Brutal Bazaar and Boozy Fans, on Facebook where you can go and interact with other fans. We also have just a business page where we post a lot of our stuff, all of our stuff on Facebook, the Brutal Bazaar and Boozy podcast there. And uh, you can always, if, if you can't write any of that down and you can't remember, you can find how to reach us on our show notes for any episode wherever you're listening to it. It's in our show notes, so... You can find us there. That's awesome. Go check them out. Give them some love. Uh, they, they got some good stuff. And before you even before you even bother listening to an episode, just take my word for it and give them a, a like, subscribe, and uh, follow them on everything because you're you're gonna find a you're gonna find more than one or two episodes that you enjoy. I guarantee you. We appreciate that, Eric. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. So where are you guys from? Where do you, where do you hail out of? We are uh, both in Oregon. Um, I am in Southern Oregon, a little town called Klamath Falls, and Declan's in Corvallis now. Mm-hmm. Klamath Falls, oh. how, how close to um, boring is that? Close to where? Boring. boring. Oregon? Ooh. Oh, boring is not close. Up way north in portland it's probably six or seven hours away i think is it okay okay my daughter my daughter did a whirlwind uh uh vacation with her boyfriend she left chicago on a on a tuesday or a wednesday early morning flew out to la met her boyfriend they stayed in la for a day they went to um uh san francisco they stayed there for a day or two, and then they hopped in a Jeep, and they went north. They went through Washington and Oregon, and uh, she ended up going to Cliff Berrickman's National uh, or North American Bigfoot Center that he has up there in Boring, Oregon. Okay. And she took all kinds of pictures and bought me a bunch of little knickknacks and stuff from there, but I'm still upset that I didn't get <laughs> to go. That's cool. So That's cool. <laughs> I was very jealous. Yeah. She sent back some beautiful pictures from that area yeah. of Oregon. It's just yeah. stunning. Well, Declan's closer to boring. I, I'm right on the California border, and he's more like north central Oregon kind of yeah. that area. Yeah. He's about two yeah, hours from Portland. Love Bigfoot yeah. up here. Both, both, areas, both areas are Bigfoot country, honestly. So. Yeah. Neat stuff. Nice part of the country. I hope to get out there some point and experience it for yeah. myself. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful and creepy and yeah. fun. Just avoid Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Portland's gross. I mean, stay out of the big city. It's nothing important to see. It's any other big city, honestly. Sorry, Portland people. Has, has everything, has everything there in Portland kind of calmed down? I mean, I know they had a year and a half ago or whatever it was where the the uh, the the populace kind of overthrew the local city government and kind of took over that area. Is is that all like smoothed out and everything's back to normal now, or 
Is that still like a demilitarized zone or no idea? I think you might kinda, know more about it. I don't know. I think they kind of fix it up, patch it up a little bit, but I, it's still a weird place to go. That's for sure. I try and avoid it. It's it is. Yeah. Not great time going in there, but that's just my opinion. The <laughs> biggest problem that Portland has right now is a lot of uh, tent camp type situations and they're trying to, you know, find housing for people who are don't have housing and living in tents next to the freeway and the sidewalks yeah. and people's front yards and everything and and it's it I, I don't know where you're at Eric I don't know if you have that situation there but it's miles and miles no. I'm I'm very fortunate that I live in the like smack dab in the middle of the Midwest. There's there's no extremes here, you know, in either direction. Everything's pretty much middle of the road. Um, you, yeah, the, we do have some homeless, but you know, even my kids uh, live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about two hours north of me. And when you go from here to there, you know, it's a staggering difference in the amount of people you see on the street. And I can only imagine when you start getting to states that have much more congested populations like where you guys are at, you know, and that this is in no way going to turn into a political show, but um, it just, when I turn on the news every day and I hear about the millions and the trillions that were in debt and the billions that were given to, you know, the military, God bless the military. We need them. We got to stay safe. We got to be protected. Um, you know, but when we're given trillions of dollars to uh, other countries and other regimes and other governments, and and we've got people in our own country that are, you know, struggling to live underneath a sheet in somebody's front yard, my God, man, I just don't, I, I can't fathom yeah. that that's allowed to happen here. You know, those, they're Americans. They doesn't be make any care. sense to me, but I'm also no. not in charge. No, so. It really doesn't doesn't matter <laughs> you know and and i'm also i'm also of you know hey if you're able and willing your ass ought to be getting a job and, and working you yeah know? but the unfortunate part of that is you know there's not always room for everybody right and there are people that take advantage of the situation and they take advantage of the different uh, programs that they have in the country and they you know they live off of it um i'm not talking about those people i'm talking about the people that desperately deserve to to have a second chance and and be taken care of by this country right. yeah and it's it's sad to it's sad to see that many people in that situation yeah but anyway that's not why we're here <laughs> we're here to talk about the weird stuff yes so uh how do we decide who goes first and uh i, I, I gotta be honest with you it's uh about three thirty my time in the afternoon, and I'm I'm ready to start diving into this. Yeah, let's uh, go for this it. Drink okay. that we have today. I can go <laughs> first go so that it. we can uh, wrap the drink and the story kind of closer together. So yeah, sounds good. What what drink did you torture us with, Declan? So I've got the Alice in Wonderland shot. There's two technically okay. two drinks that go by this name, but I chose the shot version because. I, I'm not a huge fan of Amaretto. I believe the other cocktail called for Amaretto and Southern Comfort or something like that. Yeah. But this shot contains one ounce of Grand Marnier. Grand, Grand, hopefully I said that right. Whatever. Grand Marnier. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to roll with it. 
And top that with two-thirds <laughs> of an ounce of your favorite Reposado tequila. So okay. I didn't buy Grand You know Marie how in. much I love shots, Stephen. <laughs> so yeah. please. Well, as, as I indicated earlier, I, uh, <laughs> I, I made a double. Nice. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do this as a shooter. I'm going to work on it. this for okay. a little while. I'm going to, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Cheers. Cheers. It's almost like a well, margarita shot. That's good. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. I'm a sissy. It's not that bad, really. Couldn't, not that she bad. Yeah, like I brought a lime. It didn't say to bring a lime, but I brought a lime. You know, Grand Meunier, for the most part, is a uh, an orange flavored liqueur. You know, a citrusy orange uh, flavor to it. Um, the the tequila definitely changes the complexity of that drink. Yeah. It it does it does it's kind of reminiscent of a, a margarita, but it's got a little bit more heat yeah. going down the pipe. All it's missing is some lime so. juice. You're right on that one, Mom. That that'd probably make it right. Pretty pretty bomb. Well, and it's sweeter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, Grand Meunier is v- yeah. is really yeah. sweet. It's I can remember my my parents would uh, you know like in the in the harsh winters uh, here in the Midwest after hours of shoveling out the driveway while my parents sat there and looked at me out the window, <laughs> cheering me <laughs> right. on. Right. Um, <laughs> They'd, they'd always let me have like a half a shot of Grand Meunier. And man, I tell you what, talk about warming yourself <laughs> up from the inside It definitely out. did. That stuff was. Yeah. Yeah. My throat's a little toasty now, so. All right. So. All right, Declan. So what story did you bring yeah, so to go with this shot of death? That drink was called the Alice in Wonderland shot. And my story is the Alice in Wonderland syndrome, which is a rare, a rare mental disorder that. Uh, it's, it's got some very strange, uh, I I don't, let's just roll into it. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Okay. So Alice in Wonderland syndrome, also known as Todd's syndrome is a neuropsychological disorder that can cause distortion in time, distortions in the way one perceives objects and even hallucinations. Patients describe it as being similar to an acid trip. So, yeah. I don't like that. There are over 60 symptoms associated with Alice in Wonderland syndrome that can affect vision, sensation, touch, and hearing. So all... How many did you say? There's over 60 symptoms. 60? Yeah. 60? Oh, shit. Yeah. And everyone kind of experiences it a little different. However, there's some symptoms that are more prevalent uh, than others. So migraines, nausea, dizziness, and agitation are also associated with Alice in Wonderland syndrome. The most common symptom of Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Also, quick interjection. If you guys are listening or watching, good drinking game would be to drink every time I say Alice in Wonderland syndrome. (laughs) 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 I, I would... I would argue that and recommend <laughs> that if you're gonna drink every time he says that, maybe don't yeah. drink an Alice in right. Wonderland. Right. It's yeah. a sip. <laughs> sip the shot. <laughs> Definitely go with go with a light beer. Okay. I, I still have half of my shot left, so I'll just sip every time you say it. 
<laughs> you just drank the tequila part of it. You got the cranberry in the bottom. I'm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So the most common symptom is the distortion of body image. People describe looking down and seeing their right hand warped to the size of a baby hand, or the opposite, and seeing their hand grow larger. They might experience feeling taller or shorter or fatter or skinnier. Basically, they're just warping like a funhouse mirror, pretty much. Ooh. This is referred to as microphasia and macrophasia, which is seeing objects as either smaller or larger than they're supposed to be, which is also like the, that's the most common symptom is the micro and macrophasia. A 17-year-old high school student described his symptoms as this. Objects around the room would change size as if someone was zooming in and out on a camera. People around me were only the size of an index finger. The TV would move up and down as if it were attached to a bungee cord, and the blinds would also move. He could hear voices of people who weren't in the room, and their pitch would go up and down. His arms or legs would move around seemingly on their own. <laughs> yeah, not... I don't like it. It really doesn't sound like a fun time, especially if you're... No. If you're just no, laying doesn't. on the couch and then it just, boom, it hits you and everything starts moving and warping and... Ugh. So this warped and this distortion changes so it's not like every time I look at my right hand, my right hand is big and... It like will get bigger and then smaller and then move in and out of the distortion. It all depends on the person. Sometimes it, they oh, see shit. one thing over and over again, or sometimes they'll experience other symptoms that I'll talk about later. It's it. Oh, the way you're describing it, I get, I get the like I get the vision in my head. Um, like on the older computers, there used to be a magnifying glass that would pop up and you could move it around the screen to, you know, the part of the article you were reading yeah. or whatever. And that part would get real big, but the rest of it was real small. That's kind of the impression I'm getting. You know, it's like, as you're looking, there'd be that one part of your vision that would be distorted and everything else would be maybe normal, but one, one part in particular would be uh, either bigger or extremely small. That, that would be funky. Yeah. You know, I, I just can't help but think that, while you were experiencing that, your, your depth perception would be completely askew. Oh yeah, you'd be you'd be really yeah, really not screwed. a good time to be yeah. driving and have that happen. That no, wouldn't be no. good no. for anyone, especially pedestrians. No. Yeah. Was there anything in, in in looking this up? Is it is it something that's triggered by something? Is it like a is it a uh, is it a response to some kind of a medical condition or is this something that is strictly a mental illness that happens because of some kind of so, imbalance in the brain? Since it's such a rare case, there's not a lot of research on it, but there are some some medical like problems that they believe could cause it or are at least correlated with it. it there's not a ton of research to kind of go either way. So, along with body image, affected people also experience distortion in other objects. In one instance, a 10-year-old girl went to tell her mother and was complaining about how small everything in the room had gotten. 
The mother had experienced Alice in Wonderland syndrome when she was younger, so she knew exactly what her daughter was experiencing. She would look around and everything in the room looked like it could fit inside of a doll's house. So all their furniture was like Polly Pocket sized. Oh, that's wild. And another symptom in this is change in perceived time. 68-year-old man was gardening in his front yard when all of a sudden everything started speeding up and slowing down. So he he was gardening, he looked up and he noticed all the cars were flying super fast because he lived like on a somewhat main street and then all of a sudden they just started moving super slowly. Uh. Yeah. It, it was almost like someone had sat on the remote. It just time's going all over the place (laughs) yeah then all of a sudden everything stopped and he looked around and all the people on the street were either growing or shrinking and they were changing colors oh shit I don't like it are you you sure this isn't just all prompted by a bad LSD trip or (laughs) mushrooms maybe all these people are MK Ultra. <laughs> patients, I don't know. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they don't know they've been drugged, maybe. <laughs> wow. So, wow, that's awful. A 21 year old university student was working on homework when his foot began to sink into the carpet as if he stepped on quicksand. When he looked around, the carpet was warping like waves on a pond, and every step he took felt like he was walking on sponges. When he went to oh. lay down, yeah, this is definitely some <laughs> drug induced yeah, shit here. Seems like it. <laughs> when he went to lay down, he looked at his hand and fingers, and they began to stretch on for miles. He claimed. Oh. Yeah. Since Alice in Wonderland syndrome affects all five senses, it can be very scary for someone experiencing this. For most people, symptoms last anywhere from fifteen minutes to an hour. However, some people experience this for like multiple months oh my my god you couldn't do anything you couldn't go to work you couldn't go to the grocery store yeah you'd you'd be stuck at home just tripping out all day right you would be i see why they talking about a lsd yeah people changing sizes and colors like oh that's so weird so a rare symptom of Alice in Wonderland syndrome is zoopsia, which I believe is how it's pronounced. So zoopsia is the hallucination showing either swarms of small animals like mice or ants or packs of larger animals such as dogs or cats. <laughs> so, yeah. James out. So you just look down and see a swarm of mice coming at you that aren't really there. No. Yeah. No. See, it wouldn't be mice for me. Yeah, it would be spiders. No. Also, not good. Ants. Yeah. The cats and dogs one would be kind of cool, mm-hmm. but not. <laughs> okay, I I could get on board with cats and dogs. That's yeah. fine. But anything else, no. Yeah. No. All these symptoms sound pretty scary. So take a let's take a look at some possible causes. Since Alice in Wonderland is fairly uncommon and there isn't much documentation on this disease. A cause isn't known at the moment. However, many people experiencing Alice in Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland syndrome have experienced correlated <laughs> problems. 
The syndrome is commonly associated with migraines as well as the use of psychoactive drugs, but it can also be uh, the initial symptoms of Epstein-Barr virus, which is prevalent in most cases for children and teens. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention oh. that the majority of people affected by this syndrome are children and teenagers. So it kind of weeds out the, the they were on drugs. The but drug af yeah. aspect. Yeah. So Epstein-Barr virus, Zika, influenza, and strep have all been correlated with this syndrome. People actively suffering from Alice in Wonderland syndrome have an increase in symptoms if they are sick and have a fever. So the higher their fever goes, the the more their symptoms increase and become more extreme. So it like fever dream. Literally, yeah, like a, a, you're awake for okay. a fever dream. So some doctors have theorized that Alice in Wonderland syndrome can also be caused by hyperactivity in different parts of the brain, such as encephalitis, epilepsy, decreased cerebral blood flow, or reduced blood flow to other parts of the brain. While this isn't specifically a cause, a lot of parents that experience Alice in Wonderland syndrome as a child report that their children also suffer from it, which suggests that it could be hereditary. As for yeah. treatment... I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it, most, not most, but like a lot of the cases have uh, hereditary aspects to them. Like either the mom had it or the dad had it when yeah. they were younger. And as for treatment, there's not really a great method as of now. However, since most cases... Uh, have underlying diseases it's been proven fairly successful to treat whatever whatever else is wrong first before uh, Alice so curious so the like with any of your looking into this the author of Alice in Wonderland mm. because those those, that kind of imagery is so prevalent throughout the story and any of the film adaptations of it. Was there ever anything that indicated that the author of Alice in Wonderland was suffering from this syndrome? And, I mean, is, is, there, is there a comparison there? Or? I don't think uh, he or the author was suffering, but that is why they named Alice in Wonderland syndrome because of the, like the, the way the book depicted everything that was going on, it was very similar to what people were experiencing with the syndrome. So they're like, that's close enough. We'll call it Alice yeah. in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You can't really call a medical condition acid trip acid, syndrome. Acid trip syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when kids are having it. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Good point. Uh, good point. That I, I couldn't imagine. You know, the only thing I can even come even remotely close to and and this is coming from a guy who uh, i'm I, I don't use drugs but i have been very interested in you know like ayahuasca or dmt purely and simply because everybody that do does these trips they all experience the same thing they all see the same entities they all seem to emerge from this trip having a, a completely changed uh, realization of their spirituality or, or their idea of God or anything like that. And I think that would be an extraordinarily interesting thing to, to go through. Um, will I ever do it? No. Because 
with my luck, I will be the one that comes out. And then, you know, it just got drool running down the side of his mouth and going <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, but, you know, the only thing I can come even remotely close to is given my age and my eyesight having gotten worse through the years, um, now having to have uh, bifocal or multifocal contact lenses. When I first got the prescription for that, you know, to stand and just look at everything out in front of me was fine. But what I noticed was like, if I tried to walk down a stairway and I looked down, my, my depth perception was way off mm-hmm. and, and things were kind of, kind of out of kilter. And, and it took, it took a bit of time to get, to get used to it. Um, I mean, it's nothing even remotely close to uh, as, as bad as what these symptoms sound, but I, I know how badly that mm-hmm. sucked having to get used to that is I couldn't imagine having to deal with something like this. that would come on. At, I didn't without even any know notice. they made bifocal contacts. That seems very tough to yeah. get used yeah, they're to. They're called multi multifocal. They're uh, in a ring, right? They, they, they were. T- okay. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they're wonderful. I mean, I, the, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've worn glasses before, but I have a, a fetish for, expensive sunglasses i love oakley's and i love ray-bans so i've got like 10 or 12 pairs of oakley's and ray-bans that i i just you know depending on the day and how i feel i grab this pair i grab that pair well if i'm wearing glasses all those are obsolete so i opted i opted to go with getting contacts and it was fine for the first couple of years but now that i need a little bit more help with the uh the reading it uh it, it's still it's still better than glasses for me because I, I get to utilize all right. my sunglasses, but that sounds like a really hokey <laughs> reason to do it. Was it <laughs> I got a lot of money wrapped up in was sunglasses. Was it scary to drive after you put them in for the first time? Um, you know, the, the length of time, here's the biggest, the biggest concern that I had was I am a pressman for a printing company. So everything that I do is putting ink on paper that is got perfect 90 degree angles, right? You got 90 degree corners on every piece of paper, no matter what size it is, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a even cut sheet size. And if I would hold a sheet of paper out in front of me, it no longer looked like a rectangle or a square. It looked like a trapezoid where one side was longer and oh, then it got cool. narrower and it it wasn't it wasn't a huge difference but it was a noticeable difference oh. and when i you know like when i print you got to make sure that the print is straight on the sheet you know you don't want stuff to be crooked when you're printing it or somebody to read right. it and that w- that became really difficult for me to make sure that the the type was straight on the sheet so I ended up having to go back and they, they made a slight tweak or adjustment that kind of, they kind of split the difference. So when it was in its original form, I could see a little bit better, but I was having those weird, those weird irregular shapes. Um, now I'm not quite as good a vision as I had before, but at least everything is now square and, and normal. So 
but yeah, it, it, it took, mm-hmm. a, it took a little while and I had had him in for, um, I'd had him in for quite a while and it wasn't until I went to a County city building where the, uh, the elevators were out of service during the pandemic. So you had to walk going upstairs. Wasn't a deal at all, but coming back down the stairs where you had to look where you're placing your feet, then it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm like, where's the handrail? Cause I, I really, I thought I was oh going to take a nosedive and, and I'm not prone to getting motion sickness, but that was, that was very much the feel of kind of how my stomach felt with just like, it was weird. It was distorted and it was, it was not good. I didn't yeah. like it, but so, well, that's a, that's a cool thing. I, I'm interested I'm really interested. I might try to do a deep dive and see if uh, the author of Alice in Wonder Wonderland ever like reported having having these types of visions. Right. I wonder if he was. I don't know if it was a he or she, but I wonder if they were suffering from the same. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be super same experience. That would be interesting. Yeah. Well, here goes the last of the uh, Alice nice. in Wonderland. Are you done saying it, Declan? Yep, I'm done saying it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad I thought ahead and brought this Coke along yeah. with me. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Well, are we up to my All right, true Jane, crime story now? I believe, I believe okay. so. What have you got for so, us, So, my question of the day is, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. In fact, okay. I do. In fact, I've had experience okay. with ghosts. My so, next question yes, was going to be, have you seen a ghost? Not explicitly. I have not, I have not physically seen a ghost with my eyes. I've seen an orb manifest in front of me, okay. which was, was pretty incredible. I have been in the presence of something that moved an object. Ooh. Um, wow. which was my dad. That would be interesting. So yeah. that was, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I mean, it sucked that he's dead right. and that happened, but I mean, looking back on, you know, just the experience of being able to quantify that something moved from one place to another, um, without, without me doing it or, or anybody else being in the house. That was pretty, uh, that was pretty astounding. Wow. I have I have taken a picture that in that picture revealed what I would say was some sort of a manifestation. Oh wow. Of of a spirit. Um but in fairness, there when I stood there and I took the picture, I could not physically see it okay. when I took uh-huh. the picture. Um did you feel like but, it was there, and is yeah. that why you took the picture? 
That's a good question. That's a good question because um, I tell myself that I took the picture because it was a very small, um, a very small, old, very old cemetery near a lake uh, near me. And there were two identical gravestones that were so old that the majority of any of the carving or relief into the stone was unreadable. You know, it had been weathered down Uh considerably. Um, One of the gravestones was broken in half. And the broken half was picked up by somebody and leaned up against the part that was still in the ground. But there were two of them beside each other. And I just thought, you know, I mean... I was there in the evening. It was nighttime. Um, I was there with my, my kids and a couple other friends of theirs. Uh, we were basically doing our first ghost hunt. Um, I told everybody when we got there, I said, this isn't funny games. You're supposed, you need to be respectful and, you know, don't, don't take this lightheartedly because there's, this is the resting place for people who have passed on. You know, they were viable people. They had lives. They had people that loved them. So understand that and be respectful of it. But that being said, we were not a paranormal encounter group. You know, it was, we had very limited, I had a camcorder, I had a, you know, a a digital camera. It wasn't like we were walking around there with millimeters and all kinds of stuff. We were just big fans of watching, you know, like ghost adventures and and stuff like that. And uh, the amount of evidence that we captured during that short little stint at that place coupled with the experiences that I had with my dad after he passed is all I need. I mean, I got, a, and I can share them with you if you like. Um, I got this picture that I was talking about of this misty apparition, um, that was by these gravestones. I took a picture of the, the surrounding wood line, uh, the outside edge of the the graveyard and there's literally a face that looks like a um it looks like a theater mask you know like uh motley crew theater of pain yeah the the two theater masks hanging it literally looks like a theater mask sitting there in the middle of the woods for no good apparent reason um very very like oh yeah (laughs) okay um, you know, and then my daughter and I, we were, uh, she, she called me over to this one monument and, uh, she said, Oh my God, it, it got really cold back here. It got really cold back here. And you know, she was, uh, 12 or 13 at the time. And I was like, yeah, sure it did. You know, she's just playing off of stuff that she's seen on these ghost shows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I walked up to the front of the graveyard where she was at and there was this, it was a monument. It kind of looked like the Washington Monument. It was a large pillar that stood about maybe five and a half, six feet tall. And at the top of it, it had a pyramid. And it was just like a big piece of granite. And she was standing back there. And I walked between these two big oak trees. And like I said, it was nighttime. So the sun wasn't out. It wasn't like I walked into a shady area or anything. And I'll be damned. It got cold back there. And I was like, holy shit, kid. It is cold back oh. here, you know? And uh, I had a a camcorder that was filming in my left hand, and then I had a digital camera in my right hand that I had that I was just taking shots every so often. And uh, 
we're standing there and like at the top of the monument where the the little pyramid figure or shape mm -hmm. was this little teeny tiny little blue ball of light just came out oh, of nowhere wow. and it got and it got to be about the size of a golf ball maybe not quite as mm -hmm. big as a golf ball and it was suspended and it just kind of zipped around and poof and it was gone you know i I got it on tape. Wow, that's awesome. I got it on the camcorder, and I had to slow it down to 50 and 75% of its original speed to even get it to take up, like, five seconds of being on screen. Wow. And it came out of nowhere. It, it illuminated because it shined against the polished uh, side of the, um, the monument. You could see the reflection of it in the monument. And it just did this weird little zippity doo, and and then it was poof, it was gone. Wow! It wasn't like it flew away, and I could watch it fly away. It just mm -hmm. dissipated and was gone. So, That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Well, my so, yeah. uh, as far as have I seen a ghost uh -huh. or believe in them? Yes, I yeah. Do. Okay. <laughs> well. Many people report seeing ghosts and both threatening experiences and also curious encounters. I would qualify yours as a curious encounter for sure. <laughs> Some people might wonder why a ghost or spirit would make their presence known. And does the ghost have a motive for making contact? In the case I'm going to tell you about, there's a huge motive for a spirit to make an earthly appearance. And that motive was justice. So I'm going to tell you about Teresita Bassa. She was born in the Philippines in 1929. She moved to the U.S. in the 1960s, searching for a better life than what she could have in her home country. She initially wanted to study music, but eventually became a respiratory therapist. She worked at the Edgewater Hospital outside of Chicago. Also, uh, although she was working at a hospital, she still had her love for music and was pursuing a master's degree in music. She was known to give free piano lessons to neighborhood children. And the kids in the neighborhood loved her, apparently, because she took the time to spend with them. And On February 21st, 1977, Teresita spoke with her friend Ruth on the phone. During their conversation, Teresita mentioned she was expecting a friend to stop by, but didn't give any further details. An hour after Teresita and Ruth's conversation, someone reported smoke in the area of Teresita's apartment. Firefighters entered her apartment and found a burning mattress on the floor. Under it was Teresita. She was naked with a knife sticking out of her chest. There was no physical evidence found at the scene, and although it might have looked like there had been a sexual component to the crime, she had not been sexually assaulted. The apartment had some fire damage, which prevented investigators from finding any crucial evidence like fingerprints, but investigators did find a note in Teresita's handwriting. The note appeared to be a reminder for her to buy theater tickets for someone with the initials A.S. Almost six months went by without any substantial leads for the police to act on, but soon that would change when they received a call from Dr. Chua Jr., who said he had some information. Dr. Chua and his wife, Remy, were also from the Philippines, 
and Remy was a respiratory therapist that worked with Teresita. Dr. Chewy, sorry, Dr. Chua and his, and Remy explained that she was having visions about Teresita and her death. And this had happened on multiple occasions. Not only was she having visions of Teresita, but Remy appeared to be channeling her as well. Dr. Chewy explained that more than once, Remy would go into a trance and speak as Teresita, asking for his help in solving her murder. Teresita's ghost reportedly told Dr. Chua that another coworker, Alan Showery, was the one who was responsible for her death. Teresita's ghost also presented crucial information about the crime. She explained that Showery had stolen some of her jewelry and had given it to his girlfriend. Teresita's ghost, speaking through Remy, I can't even imagine that. It's bad enough that you have a coworker that gets murdered and then all of a sudden she jumps into your body and it's like, hey, could you help me yeah. solve my murder? Um, That's crazy. So Teresita's ghost described the jewelry that was stolen and who in her family uh, that could identify the jewelry. So she said, this, these are the pieces that he stole. This is what it looks like. And this person in my family can confirm this piece of jewelry was mine. It was unique and distinct. And they would have known that it belonged to her because they had seen her wear it. So Showery worked at the same hospital as Teresita and Remy. Investigators were told by other hospital employees that Showery had agreed to meet Teresita at her apartment to fix her TV on the night of the murder. When questioned about the night of the murder, Showery admitted to being in the apartment that night, but he said he had fixed the TV and left. So apparently none of this information came out until after um, the reported ghost encounter police asked Showery's girlfriend if he had given her any jewelry recently which she admitted that he had police then asked Teresita's family to look over the jewelry to see if they recognized anything which they did there were several distinct pieces they identified as having belonged to Teresita and those um, and they were the ones that her ghost had described when confronted with the jewelry evidence Showery gave a full confession. He explained that he had fixed the TV and left, but decided to return to the apartment to rob and kill her. Even though he had confessed, he decided to plead not guilty at trial. The trial initially resulted in a mistrial because of a hung jury, but the prosecutor persisted and Showery eventually pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison in 1977, almost two years to the day after Teresita was murdered. He was paroled after serving four years of that sentence. Fuck. Yes, I said four. Four versus 14. You know, I like that math. He was a nice guy. Yeah. He was fine. He didn't do anything. He was an accident. Right. Wow. So that is my ghost story. That's crazy. I mean, could you imagine being faced with having communication from yeah. from somebody that was dead yeah. asking you to help solve your own murder? Yeah, yeah. It'd be pretty wild. 
I don't think I would like it, wow. but that's just me. Yeah. I I don't want to. I don't want to step out of my guests. comfort zone that far. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, as far as, you know, I mean, you guys are aware of, you know, the topics that mm -hmm. I cover on, on this show and you know, where, where do you guys fall in that? Have you, have either of you had any experiences that were, um, what you would consider a little left to center, something that you didn't really want to. So I, when I was a kid, admit. I had a couple of experiences. There was one time when I was home and, um, I slept on one end of the house and had to walk through the middle of the house to go to the bathroom. My parents were on the complete opposite end of the house. And I got up in the middle of the night one time and was walking through the middle of the house, walking through the kitchen. And off the kitchen, there's um, a laundry room and that exited out of the house. I heard footsteps coming from that laundry room and there was no one there. It was the middle of the night, so it was dark, but it, there was enough ambient light that you could have seen into, you know, not clearly, but you could have seen it if someone was in there. I heard footsteps and something dragging, scared the crap out of me. I didn't have to go to the bathroom after that. I just went back in bed and, and hid. And then um, there was one time that I was in high school and I had a boyfriend who, he and a roommate lived in an apartment and my boyfriend collected uh dragon sculptures and little figurines and things and he had a display case for them and there was one dragon that no matter where it was in the case it moved everything else stayed in place but this one would rotate around and be in different really? positions and he put it in different he thought oh maybe the shelf is there's a weird vibration from the street or whatever no it was just that one dragon that yeah. moved around in the case that's weird <laughs> yeah that is strange. that's all that i've like i i mean i'm sure i probably have had weird other things but always just was like no i didn't really see that that was just in my imagination <laughs> And, and that's funny because uh, that you say that because, you know, that's a that's a topic of discussion that comes up quite often in the show is, you know, if you remain open to the idea of these things, I think you're more likely to recognize when they happen and not dismiss. Right. Them. But some people, for whatever reason, throughout the course of their growing up and, and maturing, um, some people tend to close off from those type of topics and they become further and further from uh, being anything that they would recognize as reality. So it, it's easy to have a situation, you know, happen and then just uh, automatically uh, associate it with, oh, it couldn't have been that, it was this. Or, you know, the fact that it could have been supernatural doesn't even jump into your mind now, it is replaced by, well, it's creaking doors or, you know, the, the house is creaking because of the weather change right. or something like that. And it's interesting I mean, because nobody really knows. And it, it'd be really interesting to know if, you know, I've, I've said time and time again, my parents didn't necessarily encourage me to delve into this type of stuff. But I was interested in UFOs at a very early age and Bigfoot at an early age. And then ghosts, you know, kind of nat a natural progression. I, I got into ghosts and stuff like that. I ne My parents never were like, 
hey, all right, kid, time to hang that stupid shit up that doesn't exist. It's not real. You know, you're just wasting your time. They never did that. They never said, oh, you ought to be a ghost yeah. investigator either, you know, but, and I, th- and I think I've always kept a very open mind to the, ex- the exceptions of these things being possible and having interactions. And then throughout my life, I had interactions with my dad who had died almost a year prior. And I mean, it, to me, it's, you, you can't, there's nothing that you could tell me. There's nothing that any expert could stand in front of me and say, what you experienced was not your dad. Mm-hmm. It was, it was this, it was a natural occurrence. It was weird, but it, you know, yeah, there's nothing. I have completely and utterly a hundred percent buy into that. It was my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you yeah. know, in those and kind of situations, you know, you just can feel it in your gut, you know? Mm-hmm. I often wonder, I've had... And those kind of experiences... It, I was going to say, I've had quite a ahead, few uh, quite a few family members pass away in the last few years. Um, and I always wonder, you know, like, am I going to, like, get a visit from them and we can have a little chat or something? And I never have. Not I, I would be... I think I would be totally open to it, but uh, there's never been anything where I was like, could it have been... And then I explained it away. I just haven't, there hasn't been anything that's happened where I was like, oh yeah, okay. There, this was different. I just haven't had, had anything. Have you had any of them uh, show up in a dream? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of people that have passed away that I've known that have shown up in a dream. And the dreams are always like complete nonsense. Like, Oh, they were sitting on a park bench and I walked by and I was like, hey, how's it going? And just kept walking, you know. And then when I woke up, I was like, oh, they were gone. Yeah, I, I there's something about that experience of of dreaming of somebody who's passed on that I wonder if that is a if that's an active route that they can take to to show themselves mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And it may not make sense to you, like you said. It may not make sense to you, but it might give you some comfort in having seen them again. Right. Or at least let you know that, you know, hey, you haven't thought about me in a while, and I'm yeah. here. And then and they pop in your dream, and you you spend a little bit of time thinking about it. And, you know, yep. I don't the know. The dog does that. It's, it's strange. The dog has done, what? my dog has done that several times, and I wake up crying. Damn dog. <laughs> Declan knows. They get yes. to you, don't they? He oh. knows my love for that dog. Yeah, they we they weasel their way into your heart. Oh. Yeah, That's they do. crazy. What about you, Declan? A, you have any kind of experiences? I wouldn't say it was an encounter, but there was this old burnt down house in uh, Klamath Falls. And it was the myth that it had burnt down due to uh, satanic rituals. Someone left a candle lit and it burnt the house down. And so my friend lived nearby this house and we we walked over there and tried to check it out. And first thing you notice when getting there is obviously the house is like burnt down in parts and there's posters plastered 
all over one side of the house. And it it's a picture of a rebel pilot from Star Wars. And it says, have you seen him? <laughs> and it just plastered all over the house. And so <laughs> my friend's taking a video. We're just walking around the front of the house. We didn't go inside, but he kind of scans this way with his camera scans back and then scans this way again before ending the video and there's this big uh window in the front of the house and on the first scan it's just completely black inside on the second scan it there's a giant red orb about the size of a basketball just in the center of the window and then he scanned back and it was gone and we didn't see anything when we were there. We watched the video when we got hmm. back to my friend's house, and we were all like, oh, what the hell was that? Yeah, that's my yeah. only experience that I can remember huh. right now. Yeah. That's a strange. Yeah. I think, I think we experience things. I think everybody experiences things. Yeah. And I think, like what we were saying earlier, I think depending on how you grew up, how you're, uh, how you decided to to mature, and the things that you left behind, and you know things are childish, or you you're the type of person who always tries to find some logical reason for something happening. Um, I think everybody's, I think everybody experiences something, and I and I think it gets lost with a lot of people who just write it off as being you know now i guess you could flip the switch and and flip the script and say well i'm just completely the, the opposite and every fart in the wind is a ghost yeah. well yeah, that's not true i mean I, that's not how i go through life um i have a skeptical mind but i also you know when people use occam's razor as uh, as a defense for the weird as, as far as, you know, well, Occam's razor says if it, you know, if it was something that moved, then obviously the wind moved it. And I say if Occam's razor is real, if it moved by itself, it's because it moved by mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Not not trying to find some other attribute to, to having made it. Um, but I guess it could be say I'm, I'm twisting it around to make it fit my paradigm. But I just, I think... Obviously, I believe in what what I talk yeah. about here. You know, it, it's the weird is weird, and it's it's out there, and uh, there's too many people that experience it to to deny it. Definitely. So, so we get to the end part of your episodes, and you have another segment that is called the what? chaser. The, the chaser. chaser, and I I am I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still trying to get the taste <laughs> of the. Uh, I'm still get, trying to get the taste of Alice out of my mouth because she, yeah. she, I think she made some hair grow yeah. on my tongue. Well, uh, Declan, did you bring a chaser? What bring? What chaser did you bring for us today? So I have a movie recommendation for everybody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. So my movie recommendation, right. it's not a new movie, but I just recently watched it for the first time. And it's Law Abiding Citizen. With Jamie Foxx and that's a good Gerard Butler, I believe. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great that's a good movie, movie with a big twist. It's yeah, it's a great yep. watch. What about you? You got a chaser for us? Nice. Uh, yes, my chaser is based on an article that I saw the other day um, about the Heinz Company 
the company that makes ketchup. They are look H.J. Hines. Yeah, they're looking for a man who um, he's a Dominican sailor. His name is Elvis Francois. Uh, they're looking for him because he survived at sea for 24 days on all it. that he had with him, which was spices and a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yep. Uh, he was rescued, and after he was rescued, he basically disappeared from the limelight. They got his story. Well, now Heinz, the company, is looking for him because they want to buy him a boat, and they want to fill it with navigational equipment so that he will never they get lost again and have ketchup. to eat ketchup. <laughs> wow. They're, they should <laughs> put some ketchup on there for sure, but yeah, I guess they can't find him, and so they turn to social media and like, Put his story and his face out there and said, help us find him because we want to give him a boat. It'd be really funny okay. if they gave yeah. him a lifetime wow. supply of ketchup. <laughs> they they should, for sure. Well, absolutely. I don't know if I and, would eat ketchup again. You know, I mean, H.J. Hines, H. J. Hines, they have uh, relish. They've got mustard, ketchup. They got all kinds of stuff, yeah. man. This guy could be like the condiment <laughs> right. king. <laughs> exactly exactly well eric did you bring a chaser to tell well, us I, I i did i did and uh you're gonna have to forgive me because i'm i'm not usually in this position where i i read an account on the show it's usually freeform conversation but i'm gonna give it a okay. go and uh so for for the for the chaser i've picked uh the hammersmith ghost and this goes all the way back to 1803 in the United Kingdom. Near the end of that year, an extraordinary number of people had claimed in the area of London to have seen or been attacked by a ghost in the Hammersmith area. The common belief by locals was that ghost was that of a man who had committed suicide the previous year. The lore goes to say that he had been buried within a churchyard in Hammersmith. And at the time, the belief was that suicide victims should not be buried on consecrated ground as it would provide no rest for the soul. Accounts of the apparition, accounts of the apparition described it as being very tall, dressed all in white, and at times with horns or very large eyes. Mm. Which... Uh -uh. That's kind yeah, of creepy. Yeah, for sure. Stories of the ghost quickly circulated the area. One night, two women, one elderly and the other one with child, were reportedly seized by the ghost on separate occasions while walking near the churchyard. The legend goes on to say that both women had perished from the shock of their experience days later. Thomas was a groom brewer servant. He later testified that while walking through the churchyard with a companion one night around 9 p.m., something rose from behind the tombstone and seized him by the throat. Once hearing the scuffle, his companion turned around, at which point the ghost grabbed him and twisted him around. And as he pushed out with his fist, he said he felt something soft against his hand, but there was nothing there 
that he could see. Then on December 29th, William Geardler saw a ghost near Beaver Lane and gave chase. Geardler was a night watchman for a group of armed citizens that would patrol the streets. He witnessed the apparition dressed in white, shed its shroud, and then disappear into the night. At the time, the London area had no organized police force, and with many people who were frightened by the stories of this apparition, several armed patrols were formed by concerned citizens. Their intent was the apparition, the appar- apprehension of the apparition. <laughs> the sightings continued till around 10.30 p.m. January 3rd. Geardler, who was 29, met an excise officer named Francis Smith. Smith told Geardler he was going to look for the supposed ghost. Geardler agreed that he would join Smith at about 11 o'clock. They had a very rousing conversation, seemed to kind of work themselves into a frenzy and convince themselves that they would take the ghost by any means possible. Then they went their separate ways. Just after 11 p.m., Smith rounded the corner and was faced with a tall white figure dressed head to toe in white. It was the apparition. Smith challenged the apparition by saying, Damn you! Who are you? What are you? Damn you, I will shoot you! After which... Smith immediately discharged his firearm into the apparition. The ghost fell, slumped into a heap on the street in front of Smith. In his exuberance, Smith had just placed a bullet through the jawbone and out the back of the neck of Thomas Millwood. Millwood was a bricklayer who was wearing the normal clothing of his trade which was white linen trousers, a white flannel shirt, and a brand new white canvas apron, which he wore around him. According to Millwood's sister, he had been heading back home to visit with his parents and his sister who lived a a lane way away. Millwood's sister, Anne, set immediately after seeing her brother off that she heard Smith's voice from around the corner challenging him And then the shot rang out. Smith was eventually tried for willful murder. He was found guilty with a sentence of death and dismemberment. That later was commuted by the king to one year of hard labor. So the interesting thing about this is obviously everybody was in a, in a frenzied worked up, um, state of mind because everybody thought this was a ghost. Smith comes around the corner, sees somebody that is basically from hat to shoes, dressed in white, assumes it's an apparition, thinks it's the ghost, and without thinking, fires a shot that goes through the guy's jaw and out through his spine and the back of his neck, killing him instantly. Bad day. The really interesting thing, yeah, bad, bad yeah. day. 
bad day. Um, you know, and to have happened so close to the sister's house where she heard the whole thing, it was just out of eyesight. Uh, but the interesting thing is that this case from 1803 came up again in the UK Court of Appeals in 1983 because there was a there was a case that had a very similar circumstance as this, and they were using that case uh, to show that it was cited whether or not acting on a mistaken belief was sufficient evidence for defense in a criminal charge. Um, and it effectively changed the UK's laws from that point on. So pretty wild you know it, it's a terrible it's a terrible tragic uh, story um it it kind of sounds in the beginning like uh just some folklore or you know a good old story but when you get when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it it, it actually happened and it, it actually changed uk law um 20 some years ago yeah. 30 Super years interesting ago. so wild yeah Really wild. Yeah. Just goes to show, you know, when when you get a group of people that are all scared of about something and they're all talking amongst themselves and they get worked up into a frenzy and you put weapons in the hands of people that maybe it shouldn't be in the hands of and they start walking the streets. Yeah, oh, that's always a good thing. I'm a I'm a firm believer in owning weapons. I think everybody deserves the right to be able to protect themselves, carry a firearm if you have a license to do so. But be safe. I also think there ought to be some. I think there ought to be some stringent uh, rules and and probably a lot more looking into people's mental health before you get the the license to to carry those. Yeah, weapons, for so. sure. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it, it really has been a neat little departure from what I'm used to doing. And uh, it's not that far out of the realm of what we normally do. I think we all tied things in close enough to fall under the guise of being uncomfortable. Yeah. So if you if you would, uh, before we end this, do me a favor and just let everybody know again where they can find you and what you guys have coming up. Yeah. Um, again, we're the brutal, bizarre and boozy podcast. The, you can find us on Instagram, uh, brutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy. And, uh, if you find us on, we're on all the major podcasting platforms. If you find us there and want to reach out to us, all our contact information is in our show notes. So that's probably the easiest way to find us other than Instagram or on Facebook. We got our email out there. So feel free to reach out and say hi and give us a listen and a follow and a like and a share and all those good things. We appreciate it. Show them love. Show them love. What do you guys got coming up uh, in the future here? You, uh, you guys doing any kind of appearances anywhere? Or are you planning on putting out a book with a, a collaborative of all these different stories that you guys have collected? No or? book, no, um, no face to faces anywhere. Uh, we've I've been looking around, and Oregon doesn't have a lot of anything exciting coming up, so we don't have anything scheduled for that. So. You can find us on podcast flat platforms and, and listen to us. And then 
Uh, yeah, we don't we don't have anything. Our only upcoming plans are to just keep putting out a podcast every week. So and hopefully making some new friends like you and your listeners Absolutely. and uh, yeah, get some new new listens out there. And well, I'm I'm sure my listeners are going to love this. Um, I, I would expect that a number of them will come over and and give you guys some love and start listening to what you guys have put out. Um, it's, it's such a, I love doing this. It, it's such a neat way to meet like-minded people. Mm-hmm. You, you get, you get the, I don't know how you guys are with your fans, but you know, I have a lot of interaction with the people that listen to my show and the conversations that we have, whether it be via messages or through our discord. Um, and man, it just, it makes it all worth all the effort to to put these things out it's just it's terrific i absolutely love it yeah and then getting to meet new people like yourselves and you know just kind of building this community and keeping good people around you and trying to help people where you can yeah it's just neat stuff yeah we're enjoying it we're having a lot of fun how long have you been doing it now uh since august of last year so august 22 so not okay. not quite a how year. How many episodes do you guys have? What's out? that? How many episodes do you we, have? We um we just did episode twenty. Yeah, twenty nine is coming up in a couple of days for us. So awesome! Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you do you get uh, do you get fans uh, sending you in recommendations or maybe sending you stories that you use? On yes, the show? a few times we have. Yeah, we've we've had some great fan interactions with people telling us about their hometowns and things that we should go see if we go on a road trip because we've talked about doing road trips to see cool stuff and we've had those kind of fun little chats. So yeah, some good. St- well, I've, maybe I've got maybe I've got one. Okay. For you. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school. Actually, when I was in grade school, um, we had this kid that his name was Ronald Whitehead and never really paid much attention to him like in grade school. But once we got into sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, middle school, he started kind of being separated from everybody else because he was that kid that never washed his hair. And he really nervously was always picking at his fingers or he was picking at his face. He was always that kid that had a a note from home that uh, he didn't have to participate in gym class. You know, he he was just that, he was just that Uh weird kid. And uh, in sixth grade, I had to sit next to him the entire year. And honestly, I can't remember ever having an interaction with him. That's how much he did not talk. Mm. You know, it was, he was just a weird mm-hmm. kid. And uh, so going into my freshman year of high school, we came back from summer break. He had gotten a job working for our local newspaper as a janitor in the evenings. 
So he had worked there up until Christmas break. We all went on Christmas break, came back however many days later to find out that down in the basement where he worked at the South Bend Tribune, he had gone up to a reporter who worked there and professed his love to her. Now, he was 16 years old. She was 20-something, mm. married, pregnant. Not good. And he, t- he told her he loved her. And she said whatever she said to him. And he walked away from her. He walked into another room. He removed a roller out of a old-fashioned typewriter. He walked back, and he bludgeoned her to death. Wow. Killing her and her baby. And I'm like, I sat next to that kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, he was weird. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't somebody I hung out with. But you never... You know, and, and the other thing is, you know, people will say, well, you know, people probably picked on him and, he, and all that stuff. And that may very well have been the case. I didn't ever see that. Mm. You know, I never saw anybody really being mean to him. I just didn't see anybody ever paying any attention mm-hmm. to him because he kind of put himself in that spot, you know. But my God, to, to go remove the roller out of an old fashioned typewriter. Yeah. And and then come back and and just beat her to death. And then he called the police and said that he tried to stop the guy that killed her. Oh, what an ass. Yeah. (laughs) The name sounds really familiar. uh, He he went to jail. Yeah, Ronald Whitehead, South Bend, Indiana. I I believe it was 1980. I'm gonna have to look that up. And then he subsequently, subsequently uh, killed himself while in prison. I think maybe around 1995, wow. something like that. Yeah. Wow. So. I'm gonna look into that. Thank you. Obsessive, obsessive young love. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Crazy. Well. Declan, Jane, thank you so much for being with me tonight. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your efforts. The content you guys are putting out is great, and I earnestly encourage everybody to go over, check out Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy, the podcast. That's good stuff. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for having us. We appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad. Thank you, guys. Bye. Good night. All right, my friends, that's it for tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jane and Declan, the hosts of Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. That was a great conversation. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. If you've had an experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please, please contact me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in this week, and as always, Stay uncomfortable, my friends.